Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy. I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing chapter 31, Ships and Serpents. And we start off with Wintro and Vivacia. This is from Vivacia's point of view, observing Wintro for the first time since he got on the boat after becoming enslaved. And the first thing that she really thinks about is the tattoo that's on his face now, in likeness of her. And she says, this falls upon me, but for me, none of this would have befallen you. That is true, he agreed with her wearily, but that does not mean it it is your fault. He turned away from her to sit down heavily on the deck. Did he even guess how his words wounded her? She tried to share his feelings, but the boy who had vibrated with pain the night before was now a great stillness. So, as we discussed last chapter, Wintro was also feeling all of the slaves' misery and the crew's misery that was throughout the ship because Vivacia had a very hard time shutting that off. And Wintro indulged that and shared that with her. But now he has closed himself off once again. And this is not doing anything to help the relationship. Obviously, things are still rocky because... Vivacia is feeling very hurt that Winter left her in the first place. And now here's the first time they've seen each other since he's been back on her ship. And he is shutting himself off from her emotionally and also agreeing that it's her fault that he got the tattoo. Well, yeah, agreeing that it wouldn't have happened because of her, but saying it's not your fault doesn't really help at all. <laughs> right. I guess, yeah, but, he's not like saying it's 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 her fault, but it is in that she's exists. Yes. I guess, yeah. Which is the same thing to Vivacia in this moment. After a while, he talks a little bit more about saying he doesn't know really what to say to Vivacia at all. And says, when I think of you, I feel shamed as if I betrayed you by running away. Yet when I think of myself, I am disappointed for I nearly managed to regain my life. He doesn't want to either abandon her or, you know, stay in this position either. And he finishes that thought saying, Sometimes I feel I am two people reaching after two different lives, or rather, joined to you. I am a different person from who I am when we are apart. When we are together, I lose something. I don't know what to call it. My ability to be only myself. A prickling of dread ran over Vivacia. His words were too close to what she had planned to say to him. And that is where we left off Vivacia in the last chapter, too. She was kind of feeling those same thoughts, and now they are echoing one another. Right. And this does kind of point to the fact that this mysterious bond between the live ship families and their boats is a little bit deeper than what it seems on the surface that it truly does seem like magic is tying these families together as a sort of false closeness, I guess is what you could call it. It's like a fake bond that is very real the closer they are to each other. But it's really interesting to see Wintro and Vivacia puzzling through this together, just well, not together separately, but Paralleling thoughts, yeah. Yeah. And as she's thinking through, like, this is what I was going to say, and and thinking of him throughout this, saying that 
There's nothing really that marked him as a sailor anymore. He was just a slave boy. But outwardly, he's very calm. He kind of answers that thought and says, I don't have anything left for feelings anymore. Through you, I am all the slaves at once. When I allow myself to feel that, I think I shall go mad. So I hold back from it and try to feel nothing at all. Avesha agrees that these emotions are way too strong, and that's kind of the crux of the matter of not having slaves on a live ship. (laughs) Right. It's just too much going on at once. I think this chapter, I guess in general, but this section really hurts me as a reader to see that they are so close to having a relationship and having some sort of natural bond that the two of them can, you know, create together and grow together. But because of the slaves being on the ship, it's just driving a wall between them. And it's hard because I think on the one hand, Vivacia is being unreasonable to want Wintro to want to share that 24-7 with her. Right. And she's mad that he's keeping her uh, himself away from her. But on the other hand, I don't blame Wintro. Like, I think it's good that he is keeping a separation because he would go mad from it, but it's not fair that she then has to go mad alone. And that's, again, like you said, why there shouldn't be live ship like slavers, I guess. And it just, I don't know if maybe if Wintrow hadn't been continuously pushing against their bond before now, she could have been a little bit more forgiving, but because they have the history of him wanting so badly not to be part of her, she's taking all of this as further proof that he doesn't care about her and doesn't want to be one with her. When really, I think in this moment, it's more so that he can't continue to feel the hurt of the slaves that deeply. Yeah. She kind of reaches after that thought too, kind of poking and prodding at the fault of her, maybe reaching and seeing if Wintrow is going to blame her more for things. Basically saying, you know, it was way worse when they were aboard and you were not. I feel like that's why a live ship needs the bond partner because you anchor who I am. And she says, I take from you. I take and I give you nothing. And he answers that with an oddly flat tone saying, you've given me strength and more than once. But only that I might keep you by me, she said carefully. I strengthen you so I may keep you, so I can remain certain of who I am. She gathered her courage. Wintrow, what was I before I was a live ship? He's kind of distracted, doesn't really see the importance of that question and answer is a tree, I suppose. And Vivesha continues on that train of thought saying, while you were gone, I could almost recall something else, like wind in my face, only stronger, moving so swiftly of my own free will. I could almost recall being someone who is not a vestrate at all, someone separate from all I have known in this life. It was very frightening. But she halted, teetering on a thought she didn't want to acknowledge. After a long silence, she admitted, I think I liked it. Then. Now, I think I had what men would call nightmares if live ships could sleep. But I don't sleep, and so I could not wake from them completely. The serpents in the harbor, Wintro. She spoke hurriedly in a low voice. No one else saw them in the, no one else saw them in the harbor. 
all now admit of that white one that follows me, but there were others, many of them, in the bottom muck of the harbor. I tried to tell Gantry they were there, but he told me to ignore them. But I could not, because somehow they made the dreams that... Wintrow? He was dozing off in the warm sun on, on his skin. No one could blame him after the hardships he'd endured. It still hurt her. She needed to talk to someone about these things, or she thought she would go mad. But no one was willing to truly listen to her. Even with Wintrow back on board, she still felt isolated. She suspected he was somehow holding himself back from her. Again, she could neither blame him nor stop the hurt she felt at that. She felt an unfocused anger as well. The Vestret family had made her what she was, created these needs in her. Yet since she has quickened, she had not had even a single day of ungrudging companionship. And then she warns Wintrow that... His father is coming this way. So I want to talk a little bit about the revelation that Vivacia is having about her past. I think this is a very scary thing for her to have to ponder on her own. And unfortunately, she is on board with a bunch of people who do not respect her and are not listening. And that would be frustrating for any normal human being let alone a magical creature who is having dream-like memories of their previous life. And I feel really bad for her because she really just needs to talk to somebody to get it off her chest. And she felt like Wintrow would do this because in the past, I think she and Wintrow did have this relationship where she could have told him this information. But again, it goes back to this unfortunate circumstance where She's not really understanding what Wintrow is going through. He has been held captive for five days in a jail cell where he could barely move around and then taken to the slave block and then held in a room with no sunlight locked in there for a day or two before being brought out to her. And instead of being like, hey, being able to think, hey, this isn't the right time to talk about something deep and to like have him comfort me. Uh, he needs a minute. This can wait until the next time we see each other. Instead of recognizing that it's been so long that she's been cooped up. There are so many emotions rushing through her. She just needs help and nobody's helping. And so in this moment, she's even more vulnerable when Wintrow can't support her right. and she can't regulate there's nothing there telling her why. And I feel really bad in this moment because as the reader, as an outside perspective, of course, we know there's no way Wintrow was going to be able to listen in this moment. And it's not because he didn't want to help her or doesn't want to listen to her. It's because he can't. And she isn't getting that on some level. And so she's taking it as a personal slight. And it says no one could blame him. And uh, she understands what's going on, but she's still upset. And I feel like she doesn't truly understand and I think it's valid that she's upset as well, though. Absolutely. <laughs> I just, I think it's a lot to expect somebody who's been through what Winter has been through to right. be immediately ready to take the load off of her shoulders. Like Winter's not really in a place to help her anyway. And I get that he's the only one that listens, but it is kind of a selfish thought, which I think yeah. she knows. I think, I don't know. It just, I think there's too much going on in the background to make this effective in the way that it could have been without the slaves on board. Right. Yeah. That's still putting a wall, him holding himself back, still putting up that wall. Exactly. 
We jump over to Kyle's point of view now, who is kind of berating Comfrey, who is at the wheel because he can't hold a straight course. But that, as we know, is Vivacia trying to um, trying to annoy Gantry and Kyle as best as possible. So Kyle is, of course, in his usual state, angry. He sees the uh, a serpent thrash to the surface in Vivacia's wake and sees that the ugly things seem to be looking right at him. Kyle felt the slow burn of his anger begin to glow. And just saying, it's too much. You know, he was not a weak man. He could face whatever fate threw his way and stand up to it, whatever. But this was different. This was direct opposition of those he strove to benefit. And he didn't know how much more of it he could take. And he kind of goes on this rant in his head that, you know, I tried to help the boy, but, you know... He just had to run off and become a slave on his own. I was going to hand him the ship, even though he's been so ungrateful. And now I've finally given up on him. I'd brought my son back to the ship and put him completely at the ship's disposal, which is what she insisted that she needed. So why is she being like this too? She's dragging her anchor and not sailing right. She shamed him with her sloppy gait, just as his own son had shamed him. And he's kind of relating this whole thing like, yep, it should have been simple. Pick up slaves, drop them off, come back to the family a hero, I have a bunch of money, pay off debts. But everyone else is making it difficult for me. Yeah, the guy needs self-reflection. There's one common denominator in all the problems and things happening, and it isn't Wintrow or Vivacia, it's him. But he does not recognize that because, of course, he's never at fault. Um, everybody should just know that it that he has good intentions with everything that he's doing and should go based off that, not based off of what he's actually doing. Yeah, definitely a frustrating read or take on Kyle's point of view. But this anger and this stoking of the flames is clearly being egged on by the serpent in some yes. way. Yes, yes. It's after the serpent is looking him in the eyes that he starts getting more and more angry. And it happens a couple more times. We learn from the serpents later, Mulkin and Shriver and Caesarea later, that this white serpent is petitioning the provider, which is Vivacia, for food. And so Kyle, I believe, is egged on by that glamour, that petitioning, whatever you want to call it. And yes, the anger is already there and his self-righteousness and his victim complex, but it's definitely pressured by that serpent. I, I don't know. I just... It's very funny to me, the idea of I'm not a weak man. I can do anything that I can go up against anything fate throws against me. But my family members telling me I'm in the wrong. That's too much for me. That's way too hard. Like, what? (laughs) (laughs) How is that an op? Like, I don't know. That just doesn't feel like an obstacle that fate is throwing in your way. That is your choices. It goes down to that one sentence. This was direct opposition of those he strove to benefit. So in his mind, like as we talked about this before, Kyle is doing this for the benefit of the family. He's like, this is the way to make money because everyone is refusing to give me the Rainwild charts so I could actually make a lot of money. Fine, I'll do it the best way I know how to make the most money with this. And these people are ungrateful and directly opposing me. Why? Who knows? I'm doing this all for their own good. And they're not agreeing with him, which makes him incredibly angry. Right. And he's also reflecting a little bit more, a little bit 
you know, I think this stems from guilt, this anger as well, but he's talking about the tattoo that Wintrow got of Vivacia. Wintrow already had two slave tattoos on his face, and the larger one was the result of Kyle's own angry and impulsive reaction to a facetious suggestion from Torg. He wished to saw that Gantry had been with him instead of Torg that day. Gantry would have talked him out of it. In contrast, Torg had acted immediately, much to Kyle's unspoken regret. He had to do it over, and then the serpent distracts him a little bit, and he starts walking down the ship to get away from it. Yeah, so here it is, the revelation that it was Kyle's decision to tattoo Wintrow, but it was definitely Torg who made it happen. It's also, at any point, he could have said, actually, never mind to Torg. He could have immediately changed his mind. But it's again, goes back to this weird thing that both Kyle and Kenneth show where it's like, well, I'm a man. And so once I've said something, I can't take uh, take it back. That makes me look weak. Yeah. Which is such a weird take. Like, I don't understand that thought process in any sense of the word. Like, why not? Everybody's wrong all the time. There is not one single person alive who has never been wrong. It's fine to be wrong. You just have to own up to it. It's not that big of a deal. I don't like this weird macho. I can't be seen as ever being wrong is so weird. Like, even at the detriment of my own family, I am going to let people think that I always meant to do it this way. But anyway, he is kind of winding down. I think it's the anger has kind of cooled off into more of a guilt. And that's when the serpent is seen again. Yep. And he stares up at him, meeting his gaze as if it were not an animal at all. It looked like a man trying to read his mind. And right after that, he left the wheel to be away from it, striding toward the bow in agitation. His troubled chain of thought followed him. So then it gets riled up again. We have a couple of paragraphs where it's hot anger kind of winds down like ah, a little bit of guilt. Like if only Gantry had been there and talked me out of this. Then the serpent's here again. And immediately after it's like, wow, the ship stinks worse than Torg said. And I don't know. Everything is awful here. There's already a few dead slaves. How could anyone do a stupid thing as to um, rid themselves of their life? To be away from slavery? That's so stupid. Like he's just so angry at such little things right, right after the serpent looks at him again. Which I think this passage is really interesting. Him thinking about how, number one, the ship smells really bad. And number two, he doesn't understand why there's already been deaths like every other slave ship that has ever carried a slave to a new destination. It really goes to show that I think Kyle truly believed he would be a different kind of slave ship. Like, I really think he believed yeah. that they would have a clean ship and that nobody would die and they would get there fast. And he was, I think he truly believed that he was going to be some humane version of a slave ship. Yeah. He had no idea what the realities were of doing this. And that's evident by this anger of this stinks way worse than Torg said it would. And I can't believe I already lost three slaves. It's really unrealistic, but again, goes back to Kyle's weird thing about how, how he can't ever be wrong. And the world needs to work around his good intentions, not how the world really works. Right. He glances starboard again and the damn serpent was pacing him, staring up at him all the while. He looked away from it. 
Somehow it reminded him of the tattoo down the boy's face. It was just as inescapable. He shouldn't have done it. He regretted it, but there was no changing it. And he knew he'd never be forgiven it, so there was no sense in apologizing. Not to the boy or his mother. Okay, Malta. Yeah. That's exactly the same line of thought. (laughs) Yeah, like, it's already bad, so I might as well not apologize and just double down. Okay. Yeah, and then he doubles down in that paragraph there. They'd hate him for it to the end of his days, never mind that it hadn't really hurt the boy. It wasn't as if he'd be blinded or cut off a hand. It was just a mark. And more justification of a lot of sailors wore tattoos of their ship on the ship's figurehead or the ship's figurehead. Not on their faces, but it was the same thing. But still, Kefria is going to throw a fit when she saw it. Every time she looked at Wintrow, all he could imagine was his... Every time he looked at Wintrow, all he could imagine was his wife's horrified face. He couldn't even look forward to home anymore. No matter how much coin he brought home, all they were going to see was the ship's tattoo on the boy's face. Gee, I wonder why that would be. Yeah. I wonder why all the money in the world wouldn't make up for... You turning your son into a slave. Weird. And beside the ship, the serpent's head lifted out of the water and regarded him knowingly. Kyle found his angry stride had carried him the length of the ship up to the foredeck, and his son huddled there. So yes, we keep getting reminders that the, the serpent is pacing him, staring at him, egging him on, but these thoughts are not from the serpent. These are just kindled emotions and these are his own thoughts yeah i think that's a really important thing here is that this isn't what the serpent is saying to him it's amplifying his emotions sure but it is his own and i don't know if that's more terrifying or not it's insane i don't know it's (sighs) i think it it gives us a good picture of how Malta is. She definitely has that haven blood going through her with the adamant, nothing is ever my fault and it's everybody else's fault. Doubling down of bad behavior and then justifying. It's horrible to have him sit there and say, well, it probably didn't even hurt him anyway, so why does it matter that he has two slave tattoos? Right. Which, in what world does a tattoo not hurt? let alone one on your face that you had to be held down to like literally almost suffocated to get. And he's trying to be like, well, it didn't hurt him anyway. Okay, Kyle, whatever. It's, it's all bad. And he reaches the foredeck and sees his shameful eldest son there and wishes Malta had been the eldest so she could take over. Well, oh, well, yeah, it was just too damn bad that Malta was a female. She'd have made a much better heir than Wintrow. So yeah, it's because she's a woman, she can't take over. Otherwise, I'm sure Kyle would be very glad to just leave him in the monastery still and then take Malta, who would also be the same way. (laughs) Right, who absolutely would have no qualms being a slave ship trader. Oh no, I think she would have qualms. I don't think she would want to do that because she'd be away from the balls and things like that. Well, if she was a man... Well, if she was a man, yeah, I guess. But with all of her traits as they are now. Yeah, that's fair. She absolutely would not care. It makes money. You know what I mean? And I then know. a sudden flash of anger jolts through him, clearing his thought. It was all Wintrow's fault. He saw that now. It's just so weird. Like, his his mind found a target. And it's all Wintrow's fault that everything is going wrong. 
is going bad, all these bad thoughts that the serpent has kindled up for him. And somehow that's like linked right after the Malta was a female. Too bad. <laughs> I don't know. It's all Wintrow's fault. Yeah, it's very weird. But he is blaming her. I mean, even the even Vivacia's unwillingness to sail for him isn't because he's a bad person or mistreating Vivacia. It's because he has tainted her. Wintrow being he has tainted Vivacia and has made her go against him. And if he wasn't there to do that, Vivacia would have listened to him. And that's not how that would have worked, but okay. I guess maybe Vivacia wouldn't hate him if he would have kept Althea on board. But I don't know, even then, <laughs> Althea hates Kyle, so who knows? So he walks up to Wintrow, seizes him by the shirt, saying he ought to feed him to the serpent, and shakes him around. Wintrow is, you know, shocked, obviously, in silence, saying nothing. And Kyle draws his hand back, and when Wintrow refused to cower, he backhanded his son with all the force he could muster. And Wintrow lays where he's fallen, his defiance of his father perfect in his lack of resistance. This is, this is Kyle's attitude towards things. This is what he was raised up to be. This is how he thinks he should rule. He's very Machiavellian in this, that he has to rule through fear with everyone in every situation. Because Wintrow isn't cowering, isn't afraid of what Kyle could do to him, it means that he's less of a man for that reason. And when Wintrow isn't resisting getting knocked around, he's like, oh, this is my son who's shaming me because he's not a man and standing up for himself. It's just so contradictory and gross as a father. Right. And all of it's bad, right? Like he shouldn't want to hit his child or beat him to a pulp as he's about to do. But he is the kind of person that's going to do that. And he's justifying it because Wintrow isn't scared and not fighting back. And it's like, what do you want? <laughs> like, what is it that you want out of it? If he would have cowered, would that have made you feel better? Yeah, it would have. <laughs> and that's gross. Like, <laughs> I don't know that. Like, yeah, that's a real good sign of parentage is when your kid cowers when you threaten to backhand them. I... <laughs> Also, how does it make Wintrow less of a man to not be afraid of a backhand? Wouldn't that be seen as more manly that he's willing to just take it? I like not that I think any of it's good or I agree with that sentiment, but in this weird macho world and his weird macho brain, wouldn't that be pretty macho? Like, oh, he's not even afraid to be hit by his own father who's double his size. Like, that's pretty brave of him. No, it's just he's making me look weak. What? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he charges down on the fallen boy saying, you know, damn you, damn you. He intended to heave him over the side and let him sink. It was not only the perfect solution, it was the only manly thing left to do. No one would blame him. The boy was an embarrassment and bad luck besides. Get rid of the whimpering boy priest before Wintrow could shame him any more. Beside the ship, a death-white head reared suddenly from the water, jaws gaping expectantly. But yeah, it waited for its meal. And he's 
in in the, his bloodlust right now, intending to heave Wintrow over the side. And we kind of jump over to the other serpent's point of view. Right. But I do want to point out that he thinks that even in this moment, he thinks he would be blameless because really who would want to handle Wintrow in a civil manner? Right. I he think, deserves. I think he's fully that. caught up right now in that, in that glamour. I, I truly don't think that he actually would do any of this without the serpent. I want to say that. You don't think he'd beat up Wintrow without the serpent? Not as he says later that he hit him harder than he would have thought he would have hit his son. And I don't think he would throw him over the side or even threaten that. That's fair, I guess. Maybe. I don't know. I think Kyle Haven is one bad temper tantrum away from doing this at any moment. And the fact that the I don't like I I feel like it's just in him. Like the serpent wouldn't have been able to get this reaction out of him if it wasn't already in him is my personal feeling. Sure. I, I feel like it's in him the same thing that, you know, the call of the void is in a lot of people. If you're driving, you're like, oh, what if I just drove off the road and ran into this tree right now? Like it, it's those weird, like intrusive thoughts that I think is in there. That's what is driving this personally. I don't think he would he would really throw his son over with any sort of coherent thought. Okay. If anything else, he would just be trapped by like, well, I I have to go back home and bear the brunt of the family if I had if I did this, you know. Yeah. I just think that there are some things stopping him and this is just it's just an intrusive thought that the the serpent riled up. Okay. You disagree? I don't know. I just I don't know. I feel like it's more intentional than that. Like, I don't know how to explain it because I, I agree with you on some level that I don't think this is what Kyle intended to do on his way down here. I don't think he would have done this without the serpent there, but I don't think that's because he couldn't do it if he wasn't angry enough. You know what I mean? Like, I think without the serpent there, the serpents don't exist. This is like one step away from happening at any given moment with Wintrow's constant not giving in to what his father wants. That's how I'm, if that makes hmm, sense. Interesting. I, I know what yeah. you mean. Yeah. I just, yeah. we just disagree on that, I guess. Yeah. Like maybe he wouldn't throw him overboard like that close, but I think he's like one step away from beating his son to a pulp. And I think it's a few more steps away from him throwing his son overboard and not caring. But like, I, I never, I was never talking about him hitting Wintrow really because he's done that before. Right. So, Okay. I well, I think the like, I don't know, I guess throwing him over the overboard is a little bit further of like a few more steps away down the line. I don't know. I don't even know what I'm saying. <laughs> I just mean, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Like, I just think that this is who Kyle is and it's amplified under the right circumstance. No serpent around. This is what Kyle would do. I know what you mean. Yeah. I just disagree with you on the, on the certain aspect. I think it's more of just a, something that would uh, pop in his head, but he'd dismiss it outright. No matter how, how far the situation gotten without a serpent there. And you're a little bit different. You, you think that it could get that far. Well, the tangle that we have been uh, following Malkin, Shriver and Cesaria and the others have uh, caught scent of something Malkin does. And he darts off. And 
Shriver says follow to all the other ones. They're following a different slave ship at this point. And darts off after Malkin. And only Caesarea follows, so it's just those three darting off into the plenty, into the ocean. She kind of takes that betrayal, but, you know, wants to keep up with Malkin, so doesn't have to confront them over that. He abruptly pauses in his chase, and she has time to ask what it was that made him dart off. And he replies, it is she who remembers. Come, we must seek her. And they're all smelling this. They're scenting something that is, you know, promising at, you know, it's, it's a sensation of a fulfillment of a promise is how it's described. So it's very unique to them. And they dart off after it. And eventually they see the silvery hull of a different provider. And Malkin, of course, is confused. Her scent hung thick in the water, sating them with its sweetness. Hope was a part of that scent and joy, but thickest was the promise of memories, memories for all to share, knowledge, and wisdom for the asking. Yet Malkin hung back and did not ask. Something is wrong, he bugled quietly. This is not right. She who remembers is like to us, so all the holy lore says. I see only the silver-bellied provider, and yet all my senses tell me that she is near. I do not understand. And they watch this silver provider as she moves forward with a heavy white serpent following her closely. Mulkin says he speaks to her and he petitions her. And Caesarea fills in like, oh, it's for memories. And Mulkin's like, no, it's for food. He petitions only that she should bestow food upon him, food that she finds undesirable. This is not right, he trumpeted. This is a lure and a cheat. Her fragrance is that of she who remembers, and yet she is not of our kind. And that one speaks to her, and yet not to her, for she does not answer. And it was promised, forever promised, that she would always answer one who petitioned her. It is not right. There was great pain in the depth of his fury. Shriver wove her head aside from his welling toxins. Malkin, Malkin, what must we do? I do not know. There is nothing in this in the holy lore, nothing of this in my tattered memories. And so he decides to follow, but says to them, I don't know what you guys want to do, but for myself alone, I'm going to try to understand this. So this is where our confirmation that Vivacia is she who remembers Cocoon confirmed here, and that's why she draws specific, she draws specific serpents to her and has the reactions that she does, and probably why her memories are so close to bubbling forth compared to a lot of the other live ships. Because Paragon has been alone for so long without an anchor to remind who he is. And he, yes, is going a little bit insane. Yes, he kind of knows some of the the serpent memories and things that he's keeping down. But also, it's not as desperate as Vivacia seems to be feeling. And that was only after a week or so without Wintro. Yeah, I think that's an important distinction that Paragon is going through this after decades, years, yeah. more likely years, not decades. But He did spend a lot of time at the bottom of the ocean with serpents talking to him right? because he tried to sink himself. Which could also have been part of it, why he has a little bit more touch to those memories. But either way, 
he's a lot older than Vivacia and has been awake for a lot longer than Vivacia. And it has taken him this long of solitude to just begin to hear the dragons and know that those memories are there. Whereas Vivacia knows now 10 days apart from Wintrow. And that's something about them. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of crazy when you think about it. But I guess if a she who remembers has most of the memories, then that's what you're going to find, right? Yeah, it's going to be like bubbling over the top a little bit more easily. But I also do want to say, I think in the past, we have mistakenly said that she is one of the two she who remembers and she was taken away. But that can't be true because she was in a cocoon already. So she would not be the she who remembers it's supposed to guide them where they're supposed to go because she already was in a cocoon. She already guided her serpents to where they're supposed to go. And I don't think we've ever said that. I think we've always mentioned her as the other she who remembers to help this group. But I don't think that would have been her role. You don't think so? Because these serpents, I mean, I think it's still possible because these serpents that are swimming around have missed generations of their times. And we know that the cocoons that they found in the Rainwilds are protected. They're not exposed to the sun, which makes them hatch. Right. Right. So I feel like they could have, these serpents could have been swimming around in the water for as long as Vivacia was potentially cocooned. So I think it's still possible in my mind, at least. But then... The next stage for her, if she hadn't been found and she had naturally been left out to the sunlight, would be to become a dragon. She's already not in the serpent world. So that's why I'm saying I don't think her role would have been to lead them. Unless Mm, there is always a dragon that helps with the changing over and it's one of the she who remembers. Yeah, maybe. You know, like if that's part of it, we don't know because obviously the civilization that helped with this process has long since gone extinct and the dragons themselves don't and serpents don't have enough memories left over to be able to know. I feel like there might. I don't know. The only place I can think of a mention of that might be in Tintaglia's thoughts when she's guiding the serpents up the river or helping them guide up the river. Yeah. Like maybe this was supposed to be somebody else's job or something. Right. Yeah. So we'll have to look out for that. But I do think that that's something that we have made a mistake on before. And so I wanted, I was just thinking about how like, there's no way she could have been the, she who remembers for this era because she's already on her way to becoming a dragon. So unless the, she who remembers are in some way involved with the process of getting the tangles to become the next generation of dragons, she's done. She just still has that scent because she wasn't fully formed as a dragon. Yeah. Unless, like you said before, it, they carry that distinction with them throughout their whole lifetime. Right. They're kind of just marked out as special members of the species. Yeah. But we jump over from those serpents who are very confused about Vivacia to Vivacia once again who is screaming at Kyle to let Wintrow go and eventually screams for Gantry to get up on deck. She's also trying to slap away the white serpent and shoo him off, which sets the boat rocking quite wildly. So with those screams and everything happening, uh, the crew is kind of confused, of course. There's kind of a commotion on deck and... 
they're shouting to one another. Slaves are screaming wordlessly, terrified of anything, because they don't know what's going to come. They don't know what's happening. And the fear and misery in the ship was suddenly palpable. A thick miasma that smelt of human waste and sweat and left a coppery taste in Kyle's mouth and a greasy sheen of hopelessness on his skin. Stop it, stop it, Kyle heard himself shouting hoarsely, but was unsure of whom he ordered. I do want to mention that this is as Kyle is pulling Wintrow closer to the rail, and I believe that means that he is currently standing on Wizardwood, right? We know that that top deck is Wizardwood. And I think it's really interesting that in this moment, while he's touching the wizard wood, he is becoming more aware of the ship's senses, Mm -hmm. even though he's not a Vestrit and he doesn't have that connection with the ship. He still is made aware of what the ship is feeling and the general uneasiness. He can tell what's happening below the hold. And obviously I don't think he ever makes that connection and he's never going to, it's just really interesting to see that even a non-blood relative in this sort of situation, like it's so palpable and such a strong, overwhelming, unsettling feeling that even somebody not blood related to the ship can feel it. Yeah, we were kind of talking about that last week, too, about the overall general misery feeling that she must be projecting to the rest of the crew. Too. Yeah. But this is all of a sudden creates a f- physical feeling in Kyle with the overwhelmingness of it. Vivesha at this point is terrified, no longer holding herself back or trying to hold herself back from those feelings because she has other things on her mind. So yeah, Kyle's feeling the full brunt of it, I guess. Gantry appears suddenly on deck from sleep and he's like, what, what is going on? And in as close to a panic as Kyle had ever seen the man, he snatched up a polished stone from the deck Two-handed, he gripped it and then reared back and threw it at a serpent with such force that Kyle heard the cracking of his muscles. The serpent evaded it lazily in a gentle sway of its neck and then slowly sank back down out of sight beneath the water. As if awakening from a nightmare, all purpose and understanding of what he was doing suddenly left Kyle. He looked at the boy he gripped without any clear idea of what his intent had been. Strength suddenly forsook him. He let Wintrow fall to the deck at his feet. So that is the major clue that the serpent was doing something to Kyle for first-time readers. And as rereaders, we know that they have they are part of the dragon life cycle, because that's not really revealed as of yet. Right. But I guess you could piece it together. And two, that it's related to its glamour of dragon's glamour as far as we can tell at least right we've already seen some other little tidbits of the serpent being able to convince men to do things like jump off a boat to end their misery or whatever from i believe brashin's point of view but only briefly and not as in-depth we weren't in brashin's head when he was being glamoured by a serpent. We haven't right. seen through somebody's point of view what it feels like when you're the one being glamored. And I think it's really interesting to have that whole start to finish of not being in the glamour, being in the glamour, not being in the glamour again. Because then you really get to see the strength and the power that the serpents really have. Yeah. And he suddenly has no idea what he was about to do. Like it's just completely like, oh, what what am I doing? 
It's like shaking out of some sort of hypnosis. Right. And while this is going on, Vivacia is shrieking. She is letting out short panting shrieks, which is answered by incoherent cries from the slaves in the hole. And Wintro is still sprawled where Kyle had dropped him. Gantry, of course, is incredulous, saying, like, you did this? Like, what <laughs> What happened to Wintro? You did this, Kyle? Why? The boy is knocked senseless. And Kyle merely stared at him speechless. Because Kyle, at this point, if we're taking that word for it, doesn't really know why he did it. He doesn't know at all. Because his... Uh, his motivation just disappeared with that with the serpent. Yeah, it's really interesting because it does. It's kind of it. It reminds me a lot of the skill. Like I'm thinking specifically of when Fitz was skilled into believing he was running away. Yeah. Uh, in Verity's castle, or sorry, in Regal's Tradeford. Yeah, Regal, in Regal's yeah. Tradeford castle. And he was so sure and things were a little confusing, but he was very sure of what's going on. And then all of a sudden when it's dropped, there's that confusion or even when, when the fool was skilled into yeah, when trying he to get was, information from Fitz. Yeah. Talking to Fitz because he was being skilled to do so. And then when that stopped and he had no idea what Fitz was talking about, it's, it's really interesting. It's obviously not the same. There are a lot, there are differences between the two, but it is, you can see that tentative thread there of something similar. Right. And Kyle's still reeling and it's kind of unclear if he's, I mean, maybe the reeling feeling is coming from being so angry and then all of a sudden not being angry at all. Like that would be really unsettling and super weird to place and like, wait, what's going on? I need to catch my footing. And then also his son is just passed out in front of him, laying sprawled out on the deck. Yeah. And he took that pretty much as not resisting. And he was mad at Wintrow for that. He was so caught up in that anger, in that glamour that he's like, I knocked my own son senseless, but he's not resisting. It makes me angry. I'm going to feed him to the the serpent when Wintrow probably wasn't even awake for that. (laughs) He was knocked senseless that whole time. Right. But Gantry is trying to take control of the deck once again, saying, you know, quiet down, Vivacia is fine, calls to Mild for the medicine chest, you know, splits apart the rest of the crew that's there. There's nothing to fear, tell the slaves to calm down. And Vivacia is trying to tell Gantry, I touched it, I hit it, and when I hit it, it knew me, only I wasn't me. Gantry repeats, it's going to be all right. And... Vivacia is trying to scrub her hands in the sea and was still making small, frightened sounds. Right. And in this moment, I think it's important to point out that Gantry is kind of half-heartedly comforting her. He's more like, get a hold of yourself. This can't, like, we can't handle both of you guys at the same time. Wintro's, in, uh, Wintro's hurt. You need to calm yourself down. You're freaking everybody out. Chill out. Right. Which... Is it really the tact <laughs> to go with to help anyone in a situation like that? But especially poor Vivacia, who just had a horrible experience and is now being told that that isn't as important as Wintro, who has been knocked out. Which, to be fair, are both pretty bad. Like, Wintro being unconscious for this long is not a good sign. But 
I, I don't know. I just feel really bad for Vivacia in this moment because she also just had to witness something horrible and nobody cares. Nobody cares about her again. Right. Because serpents are just big, dumb animals. Remember, they have no... Why would they be even related to a ship at mm-hmm. all in any way? So don't take it seriously. But Kyle then is forcing himself to look down at his son. Wintro was out cold. He massaged the puffy knuckles of his right hand and abruptly knew how hard he'd hit the boy. Hard enough to loosen teeth, at least. Possibly enough to break his face. Damn. He'd been going to feed the boy to the serpent. His own son. He knew he'd struck Wintro. He recalled doing it. What he could not recall was why. What had goaded him into it? He's all right, he told Gantry gruffly. More than likely, he's faking it. More than likely, Gantry agreed sarcastically. He took a breath as if to speak, then suddenly seemed to change his mind. A moment later, he said in a low voice, Sir, we should make some sort of weapon, a pike or a spear. Something for that monster. Then Kyle answers him like, oh, it's, it, it'll be fine. They'll probably more goad the serpent. He's kind of uneasy around the serpent and says, it will be content with the dead slaves. And Gantry looks at him as if he hadn't heard him correctly and says, what if we don't have any? He said, speaking very clearly. What if we're as smart and good as you said we'd be and we don't kill half of them on the way? What if it gets hungry? And what if the ship just plain doesn't like it? Shouldn't we try to get rid of it for her? So there is what you said before, that kind of that belief of Kyle's insistence that they would be better slavers, you know, quote unquote, if you can believe that. Right. That they wouldn't die in Gantry, you know, trying to remind Kyle of that and kind of in disbelief that like, okay, what we're just, you're just lying to me now or is do you think do you think okay man this is going to be a very convoluted sentence do you think that gantry believed kyle when he said that we were going to be better or do you think that gantry is trying to remind kyle to keep up that like pretense right now no i think gantry believed kyle i do too and i I think kyle believed himself like you mentioned before too yeah i think I mean, we know Gantry has never dealt with slave ships before. I think we see in his head a couple times and he seems pretty uncomfortable with the whole thing in general. Now that he's faced with it in real life, I think Gantry believed in Kyle. I think that there is a mutual respect there. I think, yeah, I think Gantry thinks Kyle is a good person. And when Kyle said they're going to be different there, this is just a lucrative way and probably explain to Gantry. I'm sure Gantry knows that they're doing this because of the debt the Vestrets have. Like, I have no doubt in my mind that that's how close they are. And I think in this moment where Kyle is kind of just like, well, whatever, slave ships are slave ships and has kind of almost become disillusioned, it's Gantry being like, whoa, wait a second. I thought we are the good guys. I thought we were going to be better. Mm -hmm. And I think he is a little bit reeling at the fact that Maybe like maybe Kyle didn't mean it and maybe Kyle did, but now doesn't care. Right. And especially after seeing what he did to his own kid, it's like, who even is Kyle? I think he's just solidifying that he's going to be off that ship the next next time. Yeah. In his mind. I really do think, especially in this moment, I guess Gantry's never stood really stood up to Kyle about the way that Wintrow has been treated. I mean, Kyle... 
Kyle notices that Gantry takes a breath as if he's about to speak and then thinks better of it. So. Right. But I mean, like, even before now, I don't think he's right. really stood up to Kyle about the mistreatment of his own son, except for that one time when Winter had to cut off his finger. And that was the closest he came to admonishing Kyle. But I think for the most part, he lets Kyle do whatever he wants. Like, that's his family, that he's going to handle it how he wants, he sees fit. And even in this moment, I think there's no denying that Kyle has flown off the deep end and you don't treat your family that way, no matter what they're doing. Like, it's okay to beat him up here and there, but not to that extent. Right. I think he crossed a line that Gantry had and now Gantry can't get that respect back for Kyle. Right. And I mean, the chains are still on Wintrow too, which he also calls for the key for and does unlock those shackles on Wintrow. Right. Which is even worse when you think about the fact that that means Wintrow couldn't have defended himself even if he wanted to. So, I mean, I don't think they're like handcuffs. I think there's like a length of chain in between them. Like they're fetters. So they're, there's like the old school prisoners from movies and things like that where they have a kind of a shoulder width apart or longer chain. But in general, yeah. But I mean, still, he's chained. So how much resistance is he going to be able to give? Obviously, I don't think that the shoulder width apart, I think it's less because they're for slaves that they don't want making a big ruckus, right? So you wouldn't give slaves enough rain to be able to hit you with. I would assume that means that Wintrow also wouldn't have enough room to defend himself with. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I suppose he might be able to pull his hands up if he wasn't being held down, pinned to his side by his father. So Gantry takes those off of him, asks, uh, thinks it's, you know, obviously thinks it's stupid that those were on there. He has sores on his ankles, things like that. Asks Mild to... Get some seawater to wash them out. Quick question for you before we go further into what happens. Why do you think Kyle's first reaction is to say, oh, well, I didn't actually hit him that hard. He's probably faking. Why is that his reaction instead of being like, I didn't realize I hit him that hard? He's just putting up a front because he's scared. I think it's just a, I think it's just a reaction of like, it can't be like we were talking before it can't be his fault for anything so he's insisting he's manifesting that uh wintro didn't get hurt and he's probably faking to make him seem like he was in the right for doing it i guess i don't know anyway gantry at least is trying to take care of wintro yeah gantry glances up at kyle then who still stood over them and meets his captain's eyes and dared to shake his head in disapproval Kyle tightened his jaw but said nothing. And Gantry stood and walked away from them to where he could look down at Vivacia and confronts Vivacia. I think we need to back up because the reason Gantry is shaking his head at Kyle is because Kyle, when seeing Wintrow's sores, Kyle admonishes Wintrow for number one, being filthy, and number two, telling him he needs to just put salt water on it. That'll give him a good hearty scar. He has enough of those. No, that's Gantry who says that. This is stupid, the man hissed angrily. He glared at the sores and then barked in order, and he turned his attention back to the boy before him, and then tells Wintrow, wash those out. And he wrinkles his nose in distaste and wash yourself while you're at it. Well, I thought it was Kyle so I thought it was Kyle because the and wash yourself while you're at it, those chained below have an excuse for stinking, you don't. 
Gantry glanced up at Kyle, who stood over them. He met his captain's eye and dared to shake his head in disapproval. Why would Gantry be that? I read that as Gantry shaking his head at Kyle for yelling at his son for being smelly when it's Kyle's fault that he's been locked in a room with no access to water to even clean himself. I think that's why Gantry was shaking his head at him because he was put into that room. He still has the chains on him. Like, don't you shouldn't treat your son like this. Going back to what you said before of how this is pretty much how Gantry loses respect for Kyle at this moment because he's treating his son like this. But what I know of Gantry is that he's gruff with all like the crewmates. And this is kind of how he was gruff with Wintrow after he got his finger cut off. They're just like, take care of this. Don't be stupid. You know, blah, blah, blah. Right. That just feels like such a weird admonishment of like, you don't have an excuse to be stinky. The people down below do like, what do you mean? He's been trapped in a room. You haven't like, you haven't provided him with the water. How was he supposed to wash before now? That feels more like Kyle once again, finding a way to berate his own son for something that's his fault. It's weird to me that that's Gantry, but I guess it is. So I don't know. I don't know. Cause like Gantry can only do things that are directed or, um, ordered to him and he's probably not in charge of Wintrow as again like you mentioned before that's kind of Kyle's purview right he's shaking his head at Kyle because Kyle hasn't provided any of that stuff or allowed him to do anything I guess but he confronts Vivacia saying I've had enough of this exactly what is it that you want to make you behave Confronted so baldly, Vivacia almost recoiled from him. She was silent. Well, Gantry demanded, you've tried the patience of every man aboard you. Just what in Saw's name do you want to make you happy? Music? Company? What? I want, she paused and seemed to lose her thought. I touched it, Gantry, I touched it. And it knew me, and it said I wasn't Vivacia, nor was I of the Vestrits. It said I belonged to them. She was babbling now, Kyle thought in disgust babbling like an idiot. Vivacia, serpents don't talk. It said nothing. It just frightened you. It rattled us all, but it's over. No one's badly hurt, but you could have hurt us with your wild behavior, and she didn't seem to be listening. What I want is to go back to the way it was before. It was a desperate plea. Before what? Gantry demanded in despair. And Kyle knew the man was already defeated. No sense in asking the ship what she wanted. She always wanted what no one could give her. She was spoiled, that was all. A spoiled female with vast ideas of her own importance. Try to please her was the wrong tack. The more Gantry catered to her, the more she'd bully them all. It was the nature of women. Why hadn't they carved a man for a figurehead? A man could have understood reason. Of course, Vivacia is scared in this moment. Of course, Vivacia is confused in this moment, but nobody's listening to her. So obviously they don't understand that she is confused. And especially Kyle is just like, well, she's just a woman. So obviously she can't understand reason. Yeah, it's really interesting because Vivacia is telling them what's happening. Vivacia is continuously explaining what's going on and everybody's just brushing her off and being like, well, that's not possible because we don't believe that. Instead of saying, okay, that's what you believe to be true. Like, I'm so sorry that's happened to you. Or just even giving her some sort of acknowledgement that it's real. 
they're all treating her like she's crazy and like she's just making stuff up for attention. And then, of course, we have to have this horrible insight to Kyle of she's just a spoiled female and it's the way of women to bully men into getting more and more of what they want as soon as you give them one thing that they want. So, I don't know. I... It's all bad. I Like, of course, Vivacia's not doing well. Look at what she's had to endure alone. <laughs> There's nobody on her side, and I feel really bad for her. Also, I don't blame Gantry because he's very confused. He doesn't understand what live ships are or the vast confusion that she's feeling. Of course, he's going to get a little bit upset because it's not really his place to do anything. He's the first mate. He is not the blood partner and he is not the captain. And he right. has to be the one trying to appease everybody. And he's just so over it. No, and I totally get that. It is on Kyle and Kyle should be doing something and he's not. But like also, Gandry isn't really doing much either. He's just throwing band-aids at the cut and hoping that it fixes itself. You know what I mean? Like... It's not doing well. Yeah, but he's doing his best. I don't even know if he's doing his best. He's I just, think he is. I, what, what else can he do? He could acknowledge that what's happening to Vivacia is bad and that he acknowledges that she believes it's true. Instead, he says, no, you're wrong. That's not happening. He's like trying to convince her that she's making it up. He's the one that has had to do things for the past week and a half or 10 days or whatever and try to appease. He's brought out, you know, the fiddler. He's brought out like a trying a bunch of stuff. And she is, you know, I, I love Vivacia, but she is incredibly frustrating if you are not inside of her mind because she doesn't say things straight out. This is like the only time where she's like actually bringing up something straight up directly addressing it and it's in like the worst possible time well that's not true though because the la- what before wintro was found she had told them there are serpents in there and they're talking to me and they're touching me and they kept telling her no they're not there are no serpents down there they can't talk you need to ignore them and then like, he said if there are they're not doing any harm like it, it this is like i feel for gantry in this because he is just a normal man trying to get through the worst time in his life at this point yeah, and trying to appease and take responsibility for things that aren't his job description and shouldn't be in his purview at all. I just have sympathy for him. I don't know. I mean, like I have sympathy. I get that he's trying in his own way. It just like if your friend, if a human being, not a ship is like, Hey, I'm seeing this thing over and over again. I feel like you would go about it a different way than how Andrew's going about trying to help a shit. Like he's treating her like a piece of wood that can talk. And that's ultimately the problem. He's not treating her like a being of its own. And it's just like, okay, we just have to soothe this ship instead of being like, okay, she like obviously has a range of feelings. Let's treat her with a little bit more humanity. It's more like, I get like in some way he's trying to treat her like a child because she kind of is a child. He's trying to treat her like a crew member, I think, more so. Just like, do your job and we'll all get through this faster. <laughs> like, please. I guess. I don't know. But Vivacia wants to go back before everything, before Kyle became captain at all, back to Efren and Althea and Brashen. I want to be sure of who I am again. Her voice shook like a child's. And Gantry's shaking his head. I can't give you that. No one can give you that. Come ship. We're doing our best. 
When Tro's out of the chains, I can't force him to be happy. I can't force the slaves to be happy. I'm doing the best I can. The man was close to pleading. She shook her head and says, I just can't go on like this. I feel it all, you know. I feel it all. Bilge, Kyle growled. Enough of this. He mastered the disgust he felt for his own unbridled anger. So he'd lost his temper. Well, San knew he'd be punished hard enough that lately. It was time to let them all know he'd tolerate no more nonsense. He stepped up to the railing beside his mate. Gantry, don't encourage her to whine. Don't encourage her to be childish. And looks down at the at Vivacia. Ship, you'll sail. That's all there is to it. I don't give a rat's ass whether you're happy or not. We've got a task to do and we'll do it. If you don't like having a hold full of slaves, why then sail faster. The sooner we get to Chalced, the sooner we're rid of them. As for Wintrow, there's no making him happy, so he's yours now. Do with him what you want. If he doesn't please you, you can throw him over the side for all I care. And everyone, Gantry, is kind of looking at him like he's gone over the deep end. There's a deep uneasiness behind Gantry's eyes, and Kyle didn't like it. Gantry, take the watch, Kyle snapped at him. Get her canvas up, every scrap of it, and see the men scramble lively. Move this tub along. And he stalks off to his cabin to get away from everybody. So Kyle's, like, insight into himself here is he'd mastered his disgust he felt for his own unbridled anger, so now it was time to take control again. So this was like him being silent and then being aloof is just like, I am disgusted at how I acted out so rashly, but now it's fine. You know, there's no point in apologizing because they're not going to forgive me. Let's move on and I'll take control and be the man. It's not really his fault anyway, because he's been pushed hard enough anyway. Right. So of course he snapped like that. It's everybody else's fault once again. And then It's so frustrating because once again, the way Kyle decides to snap it, I almost feel like he has luck in a way that Kenneth does maybe not to Kenneth's extreme, but he does have luck because every time he yells at a woman and is like, this is it. I'm no more Mr. Nice guy. And if I put a woman in their place and yell at them and be mean enough to them, they'll realize that I'm in charge and they'll do what I want. And then they end up doing what he wants, not because they like him or want to do what he wants, but because that just happens with their own choices. And he takes that as, see, that's how you have to treat a woman. They're below you. They need to know who's in charge. And it's so frustrating that every time he does this, it works. Like, I want it to not work so he can get it out of his head that it should and does work. But yet... He tells Vivacia, I don't care if you're happy or not, you're going to sail. And then she sails for him speedily and well because she's like, well, I just need to focus on being a ship and I might as well be a good one. What? I don't know. Like, I don't know what the answer is. Obviously, like maybe Vivacia does need a little bit more of a firm hand, so to speak. She doesn't need somebody groveling to her. Not in the way that Kyle is, though. Right. Like, I don't think Kyle is doing it in the right, but maybe Vivacia doesn't need somebody commiserating with her. Maybe she does need somebody to be like, listen, I know it's hard, but you need to find a way to get through it. And instead she gets Kyle, who's like, I don't care about you. Sail. Like, sail the ship. You are a <laughs> ship. And I just, I don't know, I hate it. I hate that it always works out for him. Like, why every time he mistreats a woman, does the woman do exactly what he wants? I don't know. I hate it. I hate that that is how this was written, but... 
That's how it's written. So that's what we get to talk about. Well, that's going to wrap it up for right now. Uh, We'll do part two for next week. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you have any thoughts about, you know, Kyle getting glamored by the serpent or how Gantry is acting or if he's to blame or any of the crew is to blame or the relationship between Wintro and Vivacia, any of any of these sort of things, please let us know. We're always interested to hear your theories and your thoughts on these characters. You can email us at isfitshappy at gmail.com or you can message us directly or comment on our posts on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and on YouTube where it is fits happy on all of those. Thanks so much. You know what would be nice if we had like a mail time intro song? I think Blue's Clues had it right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I put some music there. I know, but like... It's just like a interim thing. Yeah. You know, like... Oh, you want something. Yeah, I want like a specific like mail time. But not that because it's probably trademarked. (laughs) Anyway... Now's the favorite part of my of the episode, um, beloved by all, I'm sure, where we talk about the things that you guys have brought to our attention. Uh, we're going to start today with some stuff that has been talked about on Facebook. We'll start with Bastion, and Bastion's comment is in regards to episode 142. Yeah, we were talking about how the persecution of the old blood and the wit, witted people, came to be. Right, and I believe this was the end of the segment so this was kind of more of a reader response brought in that we were debating on whether or not wit had been taken away from everyone or like the if the farseer somebody in the farseer line had made wit illegal or looked down upon on purpose to make sure nobody could fight against them because you need wit and skill to raise the drag the stone dragons yeah like it was a thrown conspiracy propaganda thing to prevent it from happening again of some sort and in that we mentioned that we have not read piebald prince which would probably give us more insight because obviously the story of the piebald prince is mentioned a lot in the book series and about how that is around the time when wit started to be looked down upon there was the witch hunting of wit people after that incident and you don't really get a ton of details from the realm of the elderling series, I think. And so we said there's probably more information in the short story available. And Bastion actually gave us a little synopsis of what happens in the Piebald Prince, which is awesome so that we do have that information. We haven't read it yet. And (laughs) although it has been out for a while, we just haven't gotten around to it because we kind of wanted to focus more on just these books for this podcast so we didn't really want the outside sources of those short stories that robin hobb has released to affect it i think was our idea not because we don't want to read them or don't want to know about them just a little i don't know anyway so this helps our understanding and bastion gives a little synopsis here of the piebald prince so charger as he was later named was born from princess caution out of wedlock with, I believe, a stable master. And Princess Caution's father was King Virile, 
Caution died in childbirth, and Charger, the piebald prince, was raised by the wet nurse and was later appointed the heir by King Veral. He was witted and therefore surrounded himself with other witted people in court. And it doesn't seem like they were actively persecuted against. However, there was some sentiment that it was unfair that these witted people were being gathered around and raised to higher statures than other people. So there was some sort of feeling of discontent there. Right. I'm sure it was just the idea of when a group lower than the one that is most privileged starts getting a little bit more privileged, that feels more like they're getting all of the privilege and there will be none left. Right. Um, which is something that happens in the real world all of the time. And even though that isn't the case, that is how some people feel when they're not used to having to share the power. And so, of course, there's backlash. And I thought that was really interesting to know that that is the reason why people hated the wit, that it was kind of more of a propaganda thing. Well, it continues on and it morphs more into that propaganda thing, too. Right. Yeah. So it wasn't just about these people getting more power, which didn't seem fair. It was also a dispute over a woman. Yeah. Charger, the piebald prince, and his uncle were kind of uh, fighting over the attentions of one woman. And that led his uncle to throw a revolt against him and eventually dethrone him and claim that woman as his own. (laughs) As gross as that sounds. They had a kid together, and that kid had the same birthmarks that Charger had so there is question there whether the king the charger's uncle and the woman are descended actually from charger himself instead of his uncles but the reasons that the uncle gave to throw the revolt in the first place to gain support for it rather than being like oh he's sweet on the woman that i want he pointed to all the witted people being elevated and say they're trying to take over. He, he othered everybody and made that into propaganda. So he was starting these rumors saying that the wit was being used for these terrible and, and nefarious purposes and started all that rumor mill. Right, which does, it, yeah, it does make sense as to why they would do that and why that would be a big deal. It also is kind of cool that like there's the theory then that all the current um, rulers are descended from the piebald prince anyway, so the wit is coming from that side of the family. Um, I kind of really like that, actually. But that, that appears in the Farseer trilogy. I think we had hints of that. Yeah, that yeah, that there's wit in the royal family too. No, I definitely agree. But I thought it's really cool that there's a story that kind of more solidifies that, and it's good to know that that's what's happening, so that we have a better idea. And now we know that the wit was not. It wasn't a conspiracy to make sure that nobody could ever access the stone dragons again against the Farseers. It was something else completely. Yeah, it was propaganda that was hammered and formed out of the discrimination that was already there. But that discrimination wasn't as full of teeth. It wasn't so hate and fear filled before. And that uncle focused on othering the witted people and that just kind of stuck with the six duchies. Right. And I think, I mean, ultimately it makes sense because anytime somebody is a little bit different, that is kind of frowned upon. Yeah. And that actually brings up 
a big question to me about Birik's grandmother, because I think that she was Chalcedian, or at least she was a slave in Chalced, and she had a huge prejudice prejudice against witted people as well. Yeah. So if she was from Chalced, it'd be really interesting to see where that prejudice comes from as well. Yeah. Well, I guess I think it makes sense. Chalcedians seem to have a thing about anybody that's different <laughs> than themselves are bad. I don't know. They okay slavery. So I'd, it's not that big of a leap to think that like. But also like if it was a man who was witted, wouldn't that be a good thing? Because they would be perceived as having more power. I don't know. I, I guess it's how you phrase it. Maybe they see it as an abomination that they can't, they don't have, they can't use their own power. They have to use the power of a beast. You know what I mean? And then they're not human, they're beast. And that could also be where slavery stemmed from. And Chow said they were enslaving witted people because they were no better than animals. Now we're just going off. Now this is like real tinfoil hat theories. (laughs) Anyway, we'll get off that because it's not super important and doesn't really matter. But yeah, thanks so much. Thank you for clarifying that. And for the context, thanks, Bastion. And then we'll go into a comment that Ellen left about Malta. So Ellen talks a little bit about how Malta was missing an attachment figure. You don't need some touchy-feely kind of parent, but you need a stable and present enough parent to attach emotionally to as a child to begin to explore and understand yourself and self-worth. I can't see that Malta had that kind of attachment figure. Everyone kind of left her for someone else to take care of emotionally. And we were kind of talking about Malta not having good parents, having absent parents in Kefria and Kyle. But this adds another dimension to that. Even though Kefria was there, and despite her being touchy-feely with her kids, she didn't really see Malta as going to be growing up into an adult. She was a forever kid. Kefria still wasn't a stable person in Malta's life. And from my theories, maybe that's because Kyle drove the opinions on women in general and how Kefria is devalued in Malta's eyes and doesn't have anything correct to say. I'm sure. I mean, Malta seems to be a very smart child. Her mom doesn't hold a lot of power in the household. Her dad does. Her dad makes all the decisions. Her mom follows those decisions. And when her mom isn't following her dad's decisions, she's following her grandma's decisions. So I think it would be fair to for Malta to see that and go, okay, dad's always right. He, but he's always gone. But he's always gone. Yeah. And then to think about there's not really anybody there for her emotionally. Like we said, it's very detached. I guess that leads me to the question of what were the servants doing that were in charge of raising her? Because you would think in that, that way that could be kind of like a stand in parental figure. That's her guardian. That's who's spending a lot of time around her. But also we see that Malta doesn't really treat them like humans. Yeah. I was going to say that's kind of a rub off of Kyle's views, right? That the servants are below them and that they don't need to listen to them, I guess, really. I don't know. So it is really interesting thoughts to think about, but it is cool to know that there are those terms and that it is more of an attachment thing that she never got that grounding that she needed to be more of a, of a well-rounded person, I guess. And speaking on something else a little bit about Malta, 
Wintrow went away when she was little. I mean, that was probably who she was attached to, seeing as they were said to be very close when they were kids. That was someone who was stability in her life. And when he got sent away, she became who she is. Right. And I'm sure, too, seeing her brother go probably pretty willingly away. I guess I don't we don't know that it was super willingly, but her brother went away and then didn't really keep in contact with her, didn't try to come back. There was no reaching out. She would have felt abandoned by that. And then she would have only been like maybe eight. Right. And having that strong, close bond being torn apart and then feeling like you were left behind. I'm sure that doesn't help with your growth. So, so no, that is a very interesting insight. So thank you, Ellen, for giving us that. And then sticking on the topic of Malta, we also got an Instagram message from Josh about how Malta is a child grasping at adult power, still full of her father's love, but not yet having experienced the rough road that is ahead. Her mother and grandmother understand what is coming and auction off the fancy stuff. Malta doesn't understand until she is buried with the cocoon of Tatangula. Yeah, that's that's what I was kind of talking about before, and I'm still going to be looking out for this. How does Malta mature? Is it through her own thoughts and actions and experiences? Or is it because of the magic that she is around later in the Rainwilds? I think it's a little bit of both. I think she does mature for this next book and seems to understand a little bit more but also doesn't fully grasp everything until later on when she is surrounded by a greater understanding than hers. But yeah, she's she's still just a child. Yeah, and I think it makes sense that she is romanticizing reality, right? She doesn't know any better. She hasn't she doesn't have any lived experience to draw on and she doesn't trust the women who do have that to right. give her answers. Again, it comes down to Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it's like fully Kyle's fault. There's also mistakes being made by Oh yeah. Veronica and Kefria, but Definitely, but I'm just saying distrust He doesn't the help. Women. Yeah. The distrust of women, yeah. No, it's definitely not a great situation, but it does again, I think it's helping to paint that sympathetic picture of Malta and to not make it so bad. Like anytime we're not in a Malta chapter, I'm so happy to be sympathetic to Malta. (laughs) (laughs) Then you read from her point of view. And then I read from her point of view and I hate her so much. Um, (laughs) It's an interesting thought about her evolution though. So thank you for writing in about that. Yeah. And thank you for giving us that perspective. And then we're also going to talk, now we're going to talk a little bit about Wintrow. We got a message from Josh. Nope. Oh, sorry. Yep. (laughs) Thank you. We got a a message from Nicholas about how they're not understanding why Torg would allow Wintro to be enslaved, that there is that obvious want to punish and put Wintro below him, but the reward for rescuing him could have been huge. It would have been great leverage over Kyle. Instead, you risk angering someone like Kyle so much that you risk him murdering you in rage. And I think that's a really interesting point that Torg didn't really think through. I I disagree. And I think for himself, he made the correct decision. And that's because what Torg did dehumanizes Wintrow in his mind. And that's how Torg thinks, right? Because slaves aren't really people, they're just cargo. So if he dehumanizes Wintrow enough 
then the captain isn't going to want to give the ship to his son. He'll move on to someone else. So if Torg allows Wintrow to become a slave, that would embarrass and humiliate Kyle and dehumanize Wintrow, this is through Torg's mind, so much that he would gain that power because that's what Torg wants, right? He wants the ship. He wants another peg of power. He wants to uh, lord it over people. He wants that feeling. So yes, I think he could have you know, reported it to Kyle and got the reward, but that's more of a short-term reward. It's some good graces, it's some money, whatever. But I think in Torg's mind, Wintrow could still work his way out of that back into Kyle's good graces. But with the tattoo, that's an act that you can't go beyond in Torg's mind, right? Because you don't, you become cargo, you're a slave forever. And in terms of Kyle's anger directed at Torg, maybe, I think Torg knew that it was never going to be pointed towards him. Because in order for that to happen, Wintrow would have to, you know, speak to to the captain. Right. So if Wintrow did speak up and say, you know, Torg saw me, didn't turn me in, maybe you'd be a little bit angrier, angrier. But I think... Torg would know Kyle, and Kyle would just be more humiliated by his son. I truly think Torg would be fine either way, but that this plan was the best long term for him. I think that's giving Torg a lot more credit for brain power. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's definitely more credit to Torg than he deserves. But I just think from his point of view, this is the best long term plan I personally think Torg just did it to punish Wintrow. Yeah, I was thinking he was too dumb to think about the long-term benefits of having saved Wintrow by, because then he would be at a better standing, but that's an honest way to get a better standing, and he doesn't understand how that would be better than a dishonest <laughs> better standing, because ultimately he's the one who forced Kyle to stay. And so then Kyle's going to be grateful to him anyway for catching their son or his son. And then I think in his mind, he was just relishing the fact that he could put Wintrow in a position to be the worm under his foot, right? Like Wintrow by nature of who he was born is above Torg, no matter what Torg does. And this was an opportunity to be able to make sure he could never be above Torg again in any way, even though he already was unfavored by his father and didn't have a good standing. It didn't matter because he still was the captain's son and was still going to be offered the ship. And so seeing, I think he just saw this as an opportunity to see somebody below him and in pain. And that's what he loves. And so that's why he did it. And I don't think there was much thought beyond that, but I do like the idea though that like, or I do like the whole discussion of he is giving up this option to be the hero. He could have been the good guy. He could have done this honorably. And yet that wasn't enough. Stop trying to make Torg into a complex (laughs) character. He's the only mustache-twirling villain in this, truly. (laughs) Kyle's close, but he's, you know, the family man doing it for the right thing. (laughs) No. (laughs) No. But Torg, stop trying to make him complex. Torg's just a bully. He's mean. Dumb and mean. That's his... 
Ugh. Anyway, thank you, Nicholas, for bringing that point of view to us. <laughs> yes. And lastly, we have a comment from Ant talking about how people were so disbelieving of Wintrow being a stained glass worker and how there is a reason for it. We were talking about that, and I know you in particular, Emma, were wondering why so many people would think that he's lying about that. He's just kind of saying it straight out. And I know I responded thinking that maybe because he's a slave, they've heard this before, trying to raise your value or whatever. But Ant brings a different perspective that uh, was apparently mentioned earlier in the books, and that's that stained glass working is still a rare skill even among the priests. Wintrow is alone besides one other person in that room, and apparently it's a rarer skill to have, especially as I know we've talked about Wintrow having such skill at a young age. I know Berendahl is quite impressed with him, and he loses himself creating those works of art. Yeah, and I think that is a good point, and it reminded me of when we first meet Wintro, and he is in the monastery creating the art. He is so drained, and it's because he hasn't been fully trained on how to healthily manage the influence of Saw, which is what they call what guides him to make these prophetic um, stained glass pieces. And I do think that it is mentioned that there aren't other people his age in there, you know, like I think it's, it's one other person, but I can't remember his age. Yeah. Like it wasn't like there was a ton of people in stained glass session. It was just a couple people in the room. So that does point to the fact that it isn't necessarily a super common thing for people to be good at or to know how to do. So I guess that makes sense why they would be skeptical of it. But also what a weird thing to lie about and very easily nice. disproved if he was lying. So again, still confused as to why people would be like, oh, he's lying. Not as confused, I suppose. But, <laughs> but uh, thank you for that correction or reintroduction of that fact. Yes. So thank you so much. And thank you to everyone who reached out. We love hearing from you guys. We love knowing the things that we're missing and the things that we got right. So we look forward to hearing the things that you find next week. 